You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. We are back with another episode of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. I am here with, of course, Mike Brody and Dalton Cates. It is being recorded right now on Tuesday after week three. Another big week, especially for some rookie wide receivers. We're going to talk about uh, who of those guys you're going to want to be on your waiver wire, some other waiver wire ads after an injury week that was relatively significant, yo, though not as bad as um, as week two. And then we are going to get into some buy lows and some random quick hitters that we think you are going to find very interesting and some analysis that is very actionable. So let's start with the waiver wire and some rookie wide receivers. Um, we, of course, are big on young wide receivers here on this podcast, so not always as rookies. Week three might have uh, might have proved us wrong in terms of just rookie wide receivers producing in redraft. Mike, which guys are we starting out with here in terms of waiver wire priorities and which breakouts do you really believe could be significant additions to your fantasy team? So I think there's really two that slide in as nice additions, one being T. Higgins and one being Justin Jefferson. I think they're kind of 1A and 1B. Jefferson finally got the snaps that he deserved, and he was just fantastic. And he actually, in terms of expected points, has outproduced Adam Thielen as a receiver. He has just been phenomenal since he's gotten the opportunity. And this is a guy that was a first-round pick and obviously checked a lot of boxes that we liked coming out of LSU. So it's not hugely surprising that he's performing. So he's definitely a guy that this Minnesota team is a lot better worse than we expected. We kind of expected some ball control and them to be running Dalvin Cook in kind of a positive game script, but that is not the case. This is a bad team that's going to have to throw on a consistent basis, and there's no reason that Justin Jefferson shouldn't command a lot of these targets. So he's definitely got a target. T. Higgins is another very interesting one. A.J. Green up to this point has been the NFL's worst wide receiver in terms of the volume that he's he's receiving and his performance. So the Bengals this week kind of took him off the field and got Higgins more involved, at least in terms of targets. And Higgins caught two touchdowns. Another guy that we really liked coming out of school, big wide receiver who is a stud. And the Bengals are realizing that AJ Green potentially doesn't have it anymore. And behind Boyd, they had John Ross as a healthy scratch and they made an effort to get Higgins the ball more. So another team that's going to be passing a lot, going to be down a lot, and there's a lot of targets that he can receive. And a couple things on that. I I saw a tweet during the Vikings game, and I can't believe I hadn't thought about this before, is that, like you said, they wander on this ball control offense. Clearly, that's not going to be the case with how bad their defense has proven to be. And their best chance to win might have to be just ditching the whole, you know, running a slower offense with Dalvin Cook carrying the ball 25 times a game and kind of open things up in the pass game. And with the defense that bad, they ha- I mean, Ola B.C. Johnson was never going to be a th- uh, threat to be fantasy relevant. And they drafted Jefferson in the first round. He could definitely be a wide receiver three or four that you put in on bye weeks. If I'm an opposing team, I'm looking to stop Adam Thielen, who's caught touchdowns, but otherwise hasn't produced a ton the previous two games. So I really like him there as well. Dalton, what are your thoughts on uh, on Mr. Justin Jefferson? Um, 
I mean, it's very exciting that he was able to produce that type of stat line. And we know he's a very, very talented player. My concern for him in the future as it goes on um, this season is I just don't know how consistent he's going to be. He's in an offense that's really been sputtering a little bit. We know Adam Thielen's really good as well. So, well, I think he's a really good player, and he's someone that you can absolutely, you know, start as like a flex. Like, these types of performances probably aren't going to happen week in and week out. So just keep that in mind for him. But he is still someone they definitely want to be targeting and adding their squad. Why don't we move on to a couple other rookie wide receivers who have made a splash so far this year and one uh who is on an excellent offense with wide re- with a vacuum at wide receiver brandon Ayuk, mike what do you see in him in week three so he played 90 percent of the snaps and it was really good to see him get on the field he's the kind of playmaker that kyle shanahan likes to use and obviously spent a first round pick on so obviously shanahan likes him and this is an offense is dealing with a lot of injuries and we really just want to target these volatile players that we don't know we know that Ayuk was good in college we know that shanahan liked him enough to be a first round pick now he's getting the snaps he seems to be healthy so let's get ahead of his breakout performance like t higgins or justin jefferson this weekend get him on your team and you kind of have a chance at this potentially big upside or at least a volatile performance that we can get a player who's potentially really undervalued right now and that those are the kind of guys that you want on your roster rather than a Chris Hogan who we kind of know who he is at this point yeah I mean Brandon Ike's really exciting and he's someone that we should absolutely be trying to get on our fantasy squads like the fact that his first NFL game he comes out gets leads a team in targets um, he leads a team in reception yards. And not only that, but they're utilizing him in the run game as well. He had three rushes for 31 yards. and even got a rushing touchdown as well. So they're looking to utilize him in every aspect of the game, which is exciting that they're utilizing him there. But the fact that he was able to take advantage of, you know, Kittle and Debo being out, like we don't know if Kittle's going to be back this week. It looks like Debo may be back week five. So right now, Brandon Ayuk is doing well with his opportunity that he's given himself. So if he continues to do this, why can't he be a major part of this offense? And which you know, this offense is an offense in which you want your fantasy players to be on because Kyle Shannon is one of the best coaches in the league that's going to make them efficient players. And we're also forgetting that their defense has been so decimated by injuries. This, this is not the defense that was shutting down opponents' passing games last year. They're a shell of their former selves, not to any fault of their own. I mean, injuries have taken a more serious toll on maybe no other team in the league, but they may, they might have to pass more. And when it comes to Debo Samuel, I don't remember the last time rushing back from a Jones fracture went well and the player was 100% or didn't re-injure it. So we're looking at a guy in Ayuk who could be free in the wide receiver one on an offense that is really desperate for playmakers. He probably won't see more targets than George Kittle, but still a guy that could definitely be like Jefferson, a good wide receiver three. And in Dynasty, obviously, his arrows pointing up. What about the rookie in Pittsburgh, Chase Claypool? We know they had Washington, Deontay Johnson, and Juju, but they made Claypool a priority on draft day. Uh, What do we see out of him, Mike? So Claypool actually led the Steelers in snaps, surprisingly. Obviously, Juju always seems to have some sort of issue. Deontay Johnson suffered a concussion, and Claypool played 76% of the snaps. Juju played 73, and James Washington played 61. So there's reason to think that maybe the Steelers already prefer Claypool to James Washington. Obviously, we like James Washington, um, but Claypool is a freak athlete, and his long touchdown in Week 2 may have earned him some more work he's potentially a really good blocker at his size and anybody in this pass heavy offense 
could have a chance to be really valuable. And Claypool's another type of volatile young rookie who perhaps there's an injury and he's thrown into a lot of snaps. He could come with a ton of upside. This guy is a is a freak athlete. And with the Steelers, you know, I, I, we thought that coming into the year that it might be just a continuation of 2018 where Juju is going to see 160 targets. It doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. I mean, we had people questioning after week two if Deontay Johnson was the wide receiver one there. And I think that's a fair question to ask. Now, he might not be, but I think what's clear is that this is not going to be an offense where they funnel 160, 170 targets to one wide receiver when they have other guys who they really like as well, which I think we need to readjust our expectations, especially for someone like Juju with the emergence of Claypool, even if James Washington isn't doing well. Deontay Johnson with a concussion, maybe we'll miss one game, maybe two. But uh, Claypool, there's definitely more of an opening than maybe meets the eye there. What about some other wide receivers? We saw a guy who some people in the fantasy couldn't even pound the table for for two years now, Andy Isabella. Now, hot take, maybe he is the next Victor Cruz-like player, was not highly touted in college despite insane production at the same college as Victor Cruz, UMass. And when he's gotten on the field, all he's done is make huge plays, caught two touchdowns. If you're the Cardinals, don't you think you have to have him on the field and do you want him in fantasy? And also, how does he affect a guy like Christian Kirk? So I think part of the concern for Andy Isabella is we really like him. But even this week, with his great performance, they played Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, and Keyshawn Johnson in front of Isabella. Isabella played 40% of the snaps. Keyshawn Johnson played 71. And Keyshawn Johnson didn't register a snap in week one or week two. So we need Isabella to be on the field. I don't know if that has to do with blocking or what caused them to play Keyshawn over Isabella, but he's not always going to get these touchdown targets and we need him to be on the field during pass plays to potentially break out. Hopefully we can assume rational coaching and with what took place this weekend, the Cardinals have more reason to get Isabella on the field. Do you do you prioritize Claypool over Isabella if you're in a redraft league? I I think that you do based on the Deontay Johnson concussion if you need somebody to play recent soon. Um, but I think the concern is Christian Kirk also may be out a little bit longer than anticipated and maybe Isabella is an interesting play. So you're you're really just taking a chance there. And I think that unforeseen factors like injuries will probably determine whether one of them has consistent value. Um, but I think that owning these talented players on your roster is the type of thing that you want to do in case there is an injury and you have a chance at producing. Dalton, what about a quick dynasty slant here about Andy Isabella and Chase Claypool? I assume you prefer Claypool to Isabella in dynasty as well. Is Isabella worth a roster spot in dynasty leagues? I mean, Isabella's definitely worth a roster spot. And with his production so far in his career, he's someone who... It just seems like he just the moment he actually gets like legitimate opportunity, like he can thrive with that. So he's someone that I'd actually be targeting and just stashing on my bench for now. Just being patient with him and understanding that what he's done in his career so far is absolutely phenomenal. Through 20 targets in his career, he has 15.2 yards per target. That's unheard of. That's insane. And he's in an offense in which he's tied to Kyler Murray and Kyler Murray looks like he's breaking out this year and he's in a good offense. So um, there's a lot of positives there. He's almost like what we should be viewing McCole Hardman as, but like an arbitrage McCole Hardman um, in a sense. So um, 
I think he's someone that's interesting. Claypool's someone who's just a bigger bodied receiver where we know weight is so important for wide receivers. He's a big body guy who's athletic. If he starts, I mean, he's already been efficient so far in his first three games and he continues to do that and he continues to get targets. Like he can actually be someone who outproduces what we had expected for him coming in. So he's someone that definitely we should be targeting in Dynasty and continue to see how he plays out and how his role starts to develop as the season progresses. I mean, all of all of these guys are the type of players that we want to target. They're good college prospects. We're talking about Andy Isabella at a 97th percentile dominator rating, ran a 4-3-1, and in the NFL, he's been really good. So for all these guys that we're mentioning, it's about opportunity. And Justin Jefferson and uh, Ayuk have anti-Higgins seem to have a clearer path to getting consistent targets. Once Claypool and potentially Isabella have that opportunity, they're really valuable players that you want on your roster. And, and could we could easily see a year two breakout from Isabella if he gets that opportunity. And, and listeners don't think we're neglecting T. Higgins. We're going to save him for later in the show. So make sure to stay tuned. Uh, let's talk about one more wide receiver that's probably on waiver wires who could be uh, a real uh, bi-week filler on your teams and maybe more. Greg Ward, who when Philadelphia had what we thought was the worst injury luck ever in late 2019, and he, a former really good college quarterback from Houston, a Heisman contender, if you will, uh, was a major producer for them. And do we like him? I, I got to take the L on Deshaun Jackson. Uh, clearly, he we can't count on him being healthy out. The ghost of Alshon Jeffrey might play. Dallas Goddard, as we know, is out. Is Greg, if you're in a redraft league, Mike, how are you prioritizing a guy like Greg Ward versus a lot of these rookie wide receivers? I think you can expect consistent targets from him at this point we know that Goddard looks like he's out a couple weeks so that leaves Ertz we don't know if Deshaun's going to be playing it sounds like it was kind of a minor hammy injury but we know these these hammies can be really tricky and what the Eagles trotted out John Hightower JJ Arcega Whiteside they don't even want to get on the field so Greg Ward is one of the few guys that they seem to trust there. And I think if you're in a desperate situation in a deep league, he's a guy that you can slot in and hope for five or six catches and maybe he finds his way into the end zone. I don't think he's as talented as many of the wide receivers that we talk about, uh, that we've talked about earlier in this show, but I do think that maybe he has a clearer path. I mean, if Andy Isabella was on the Eagles, we would be really, really excited about picking him up. So Ward has the opportunity right there. The question is, can he seize it? Is he is he talented enough to be the guy there? Yeah, maybe he won't be the, like he might not be replacing a guy in your lineup like Devontae Adams or Michael Thomas or even a guy like Sterling Shepard, but he might not be a bad pickup if you are really desperate in your flex spot. We know he'll probably see eight targets, but temper your expectations. Why don't we go to some running backs that might be on your waiver? Let's start with uh, one that's not as exciting as some of these younger players, but could see opportunity on a great offense, and that's Carlos Side. I think people forget he saw he rushed for a thousand yards in Houston last year in a really, really unsexy way. But do you think he is worth a lot of, is he worth, if you're in a league with waiver priority, is he worth uh, using your waiver priority? Is he worth a lot of free agent uh, acquisition balance money that you have? Let's say Chris Carson's out for two weeks. How do you value Carlos Hyde? 
I mean, obviously for running back needy teams, he's a great guy to pick up and slot in on one of the league's best offenses. We can assume he'll get goal line carries and maybe he'll average 15 plus points for the two weeks that he starts. So I think that's great, but I don't know that we can make that assumption yet. Obviously, we don't know um, what it's a knee sprain for Car- for Carson. I believe. Yeah, knee sprain. It's confirmed out for a couple of weeks. Do they like Travis Homer a little bit less or just as much? He seems to be getting some snaps even when Chris Carson was healthy. Yeah, I think that he'll take that pass game role, Homer, and it, it Hyde will be the main guy on the ground and maybe some clock killing carry. So I do think that he is valuable for the next two weeks. Um, he's not a guy that we can assume to then uh, take Carson out of that role and become the lead back there. Obviously, those situations are even more preferable, but I do think that there is an opportunity there for him to be a top 20, a top 15 back for the next two weeks or for however long Carson is out. And in a week to week game, you know, that, especially if you're Chris Carson owner, that's really all you can probably ask for. What about the New England running backs? We saw just an absolute destruction of a Raiders defense by these running backs, including uh, someone from the University of Arizona, me and Mike's uh, alum, J.J. Taylor, who I liked in college, didn't thought he was a little too small for the NFL. But, you know, clearly, uh, clearly I was wrong about that. What do we make of this New England backfield? But, you know, Damian Harris is coming back and Sonny Michelle finally looked like uh, not a corpse can we expect consistent value from any of these guys? Uh, before the season, we touted Rex Burkett as one of our favorite players to draft in the last round, but he only got a few carries. He seemed, you know, three touchdowns is a, a lot of, you know, that's not consistently doable with the guy with his workload. So how are you navigating this backfield? I think that Rex Burkhead, we can assume that he would be getting the passing down work if it weren't for James White, who's now going to return. So James White, I think, will go back into his role when he's ready to return for, um, obviously, our condolences to what happened with his father. Um, But when he gets back on the field, I assume that he'll get back in that passing down role. They'll mix Burkhead in. And then it's a question of, are they going to split that early down role? Like you said, Michelle popped for the first time in in maybe years uh, last week. And then Damian Harris is returning. And it seemed like they wanted to get J.J. Taylor involved. So I think Damian Harris kind of has the best narrative with his college production and what was being said by beat writers before the season. And now it kind of looks like with all of these guys uh, being involved last week, that he's potentially a guy that slides under the radar that maybe people forgot about. And now he'll return and come off the IR. So I think him in terms of a cost situation is potentially the best addition and his skill set also can do a little bit of everything. And if, if there's a guy that's going to emerge as a league winner from this group, they will be able to grab that opportunity for the Patriots. I do think Damian Harris is that guy. So he's the guy that I would target, but obviously with so many people involved, there's a, there's a chance that they all cannibalize each other. Dalton, what do you think about this? Um, I think that it's something that I'm not sure I really want to target or go after any of these guys. Like, I think if there's a guy I'm going to go after, it's Burkhead, but he saw 10 targets last week and it's like, that's exciting. But then James White's gone. What happens when James White's come back? Like it's very unlikely that Rex Burkhead is going to see 10 targets, but um, it does seem like in terms of like 
overall role, Burkhead has the most role within the rushing passing game mix that we like to see. And I'm not sure that that Michelle or Burkhead or Taylor or James Webby comes back have been bad enough to where Damian Harris just completely coming off IR is going to immediately start seeing work and just be that much better than these guys. Like for me, like when the most surprising thing was seeing JJ Taylor um, lead the team in rushing attempts with 11 rushing attempts. Like, are they just suddenly just going to move Taylor to the bench now that Harris is coming back? Like, I don't know if I see that. Like we know how Bill Belichick is and he loves these under the radar guys. And when they start getting work, like it's because they've earned the work and they usually have some role in the future. So like, I genuinely don't know, like as much as I like Damian Harris, I think he's probably the best running back on this team. Like, for me, it's going to be hard to hold on to him without at least seeing some sort of role first. And I'm not sure I'm necessarily picking him up until I see at least some sort of role, to be honest. Dalton, you forget Jonas Gray far too quickly, <laughs> my friend. 200 yards, four touchdowns, and then he's gone. You don't think he'll do the same to J.J. Taylor? I mean, it could happen to J.J. Taylor. <laughs> I, I, will say, I will say I do agree with you in the sense that if they like Taylor enough to give him the most carries – in a game like this with Damian Harris coming back, I don't know how he fits into the mix. Is JJ Taylor going to be inactive? Are they going to have five running backs active on game day? I, I, they can't seem to quit Sony Michelle. They can't seem to quit Rex Burkhead. We know James White's probably the best running back on this team. And then you have Damian Harris and JJ Taylor maybe fighting for scraps. I, If I had to take a stab, I'd probably say Burkhead because of the pass game run game mix. But I do agree with Mike that Damian Harris probably has the most upside, although it's not super likely that he hits it. In all honesty, it might be best to avoid this backfield if you have the luxury. But if not, Mike, if you had to rank them rest of season, give me your rankings. Plant your flag right now. Well, I think that part of the issue is there's some recency bias involved with you guys liking Burkhead. When we've seen this Burkhead thing play out time and time again, where James White's their preferred guy and Burkhead kind of gets a little bit of the early down work, a little bit of the pass game work, but it's inconsistent for fantasy value. So I would say James White number one still, I mean, even with the... uh, unclear nature of what's going on with him and when he'll return but he would still be my number one and then after that I I guess we assume that Sony Michelle is remains the early down guy I'm not sure that's assumption we can make but I guess him I mean all the rest of the guys are lottery tickets whether it's Burkhead, whether it's J.J. Taylor, whether it's Damian Harris. And Damian Harris's profile is the one that I like the most. I, I agree with you guys 100% that it's going to take time for him to get that work. But if he proved himself to being the number one guy in training camp, do they go back to that? Uh, I didn't think J.J. Taylor was very impressive in terms of his work. He dropped a pass that, that was pretty bad and he underperformed his expectation as a rusher and as a receiver. So I think those are very concerning and I don't think Burkhead is going away. So it's a concerning situation and I definitely wouldn't spend a lot of free agent money on any of them. Um, But if you have deep benches, then Harris is the guy that I would like to stash. Yeah, I do think James White, I do think James White's still definitely the best bet for fantasy production out of them. We were talking, I think he was thinking more guys on waiver wires, but maybe he's a decent buy low. Speaking of buy lows, why don't we pivot into that for, uh, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> speaking of buy lows, why don't we look at some guys who have been underperforming and, or performing below expectation 
and guys we can maybe target in trades. Why don't we start with what to do with these rookie running backs? So let's start with the Cam Akers because he has a relatively minor injury, as in he could be back any week. But Daryl Henderson looks better than any Rams running back since 2018. Todd Gurley yesterday, for those who watched the Bills-Rams game. How are you willing to pay a decent amount for Cam Akers and redraft? And you might not even have to. Is he someone you're targeting in trades, Mike? I think that if you can get the right price for him, then he's an interesting buy low. I mean, this is a really talented rookie. I don't really believe in Malcolm Brown, but I think this is kind of Henderson's job. So I wouldn't want to pay a crazy amount for him. I think the issue is... His owner must have invested top seven round draft capital for in order to draft Akers and now trying to acquire him for peanuts, I still think could be difficult. His owner probably thinks he's out with this rib injury. Once he returns, he's going to be more valuable. I think that there's some concern in targeting him when there are some other rookie running backs, let's say a DeAndre Swift or a J.K. Dobbins, who I think are outperforming their uh, backfield mates. Um, obviously, Swift didn't get the workload that we would like to see, seeing just one target and AP getting all the work. But this Lions team isn't competing for a Super Bowl, and I don't think that they should be trying to play their vets. And I think over time, we're going to see Swift get more work on the ground, get more work through the air. And I think that he's clearly the most valuable Um, member of that backfield. He's the most talented member of that backfield. And I want to acquire these players who are going to get better as the year goes on. And he is one of those guys. So I'm going for him. The same can be said for Dobbins. If you look in terms of expected points, Dobbins has outperformed the other members of that backfield. I think as time goes on, it's just going to become more apparent that he's more talented than Mark Ingram. And when the Ravens get in those passing situations, he's a guy that really shouldn't be taken off the field. Dalton, how do you feel about these guys in redraft? Yeah, I mean, in I mean, redraft, obviously, I think that, I mean, look, we, we've taught, we talked about the Rams backfield and we, we liked Henderson, but we also like Akers too. And there's no reason, like, I think Henderson's still going to ball out and he's still going to do his thing, but I think Akers is just so good to the point that when he actually starts to get opportunity, like they're going to utilize him in some role and he can, he's probably their best receiving running back and he can do a lot in the receiving game as well. So I think he's someone that now that Henderson is doing well, it just may take a little bit longer for him, but that also makes him probably cheaper to acquire. So like I'm, I'm targeting him. Swift as well as another guy I'm targeting, Dobbins. And like all these guys are guys that I, I want on my teams and I'm okay um, like paying for them. And you just have to understand if you're buying them, like these are patient plays. These are guys that, you know, once we get to week eight, week nine, as buys start hitting, as injuries start happening, as we get closer to playoffs, like these are when these guys are going to start to develop and become more valuable. So you're buying them now to when they're at their lowest, potentially lowest point in the season. And you're there's only upside from there. So um, I'm all about that. And then even like to put it into like a dynasty context, because I think now more than ever, like there is not a bigger buy window on these guys right now. Like I'm saying right now is when you go ahead and you make your offer for acres, you make your offer for Swift, you make your offer for Dobbins right now, because even though your owner still may be high on them after drafting them, you still there's still some sort of recency bias that comes into play. Wow, these guys aren't performing through three weeks. Maybe they're not as good as I thought. To where like you can still get a discount, even though you're probably playing a premium because they are such good prospects, you can definitely get them cheaper than what they took to acquire them on draft day. I 
I, I don't know how much I can I, – I, maybe the recency bias is affecting me more. I don't know if I agree with Mike 100% on Swift. I mean, over Acres. I think the argument for a guy like Acres over Swift is simply that, you know, this is a Lions team that, that Matt Patricia, like, clearly is not going to be a guy who fantasy owners like. I mean, the reason we don't like Chris Herndon is because of his coach. If we're, if we're trusting DeAndre Swift – and maybe trusting's too strong word, but hoping for DeAndre Swift, we have to hope that Patricia is going to let him free. I mean, they spent two top uh, carry on and DeAndre Swift were both second round running backs, high capital draft picks. Uh, Swift got two targets, zero carries. Uh, carry on, I think, got three carries and one target. Adrian Peterson got twenty two carries and one target. So, and and if we're going with timeshare backs, if we hope Swift maybe can be the one A or the one B. I guess my thinking is, wouldn't we want to go for the guy like Akers, who we know is on a better offense with a smarter coach? Um, it does seem like Swift is going to... I do think all their roles will grow, but in terms of pass game upside, I do think Swift has more. But God, the Lions just look bad, and Patricia should be on the hot seat. It, I mean, you're signing AP and giving 20 carries. What does that say, what you thought about Swift? If a guy you signed off the street because the Redskins released him is putting Swift literally out of the running game. I think he has, what, two, three carries combined the past two weeks. So, uh, But it's week three. Things can change. I do think all three of them are good by lows. I think I'm most excited about Dobbins. I just think Dobbins, you know, you could tell in crunch time he is the guy they trust receiving ball. And that was actually kind of the thing we were worried about before the season, you know. Uh, is he going to be the receiving down back? I think the answer is a resounding yes. I think he led them in receiving yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, against Kansas City, even though Lamar Jackson didn't look great. Um, but I... Uh, if I had to rank them the rest of the season, just right now, I would probably say Dobbins first. And if I had to plant my flag, I'd, I'd probably take a, you know, put my foot out there and say Acres over Swift, although I don't feel great about it. What were you going to say, Mike? What I was going to say is I think that, yeah, it's easy to blame Matt Patricia for not having rational coaching. Um, but I think some of the things that Sean McVay has done, we wouldn't necessarily agree with either. In week one, Malcolm Brown played 60% of the snaps while Akers played 33%. And Henderson, obviously coming off the hamstring injury in week one, only played 7%. And then week two, we saw Malcolm Brown uh, outplayed by Daryl Henderson. He still led in snaps 54% to 42%. And week three, where Henderson uh, has won over the fantasy community, they both played the exact same number of snaps. Both Malcolm Brown and Henderson were on the field for 49% of the snaps. So I, I think that they both coaches are going to play guys that we disagree with. And I think that Swift doesn't have the same competition with a Daryl Henderson. Obviously it's a better offense, but I think Daryl Henderson's a really talented guy and could give Sean McVay a reason to not put acres on the field. When I think playing Adrian Peterson or carry on Johnson over Swift, um, maybe a few weeks from now will be a silly move because of all the things that Swift can do. I, I hope you're right. And uh, at the very least, Malcolm Brown's snaps are going down in comparison. Um, so hopefully that trend will continue for us. Excited about Daryl Henderson and hopefully Cam Akers uh, is going to be okay. Um, but still, I do think all of them make good buy lows. What about some other buy lows? Like, uh, let's go to another running back, Miles Gaskin. I mean, he got 21 carries. Maybe he doesn't qualify as a buy low in that he's coming off an injury or that he's not getting production like those three, or not getting opportunity like the couple of those rookie running backs we just mentioned. Uh, is Miles Gaskin an RB2? Yeah, 
I think he definitely is. If you look at Rotoviz's expected points, he is currently number eight out of running back. So he's seeing a lot of volume in the past game, and he really has a very valuable role. I mean, he's on a team that struggles to score, isn't a good team, and he's kind of the safety valve that's getting a ton of targets, and he's outperformed his expectation as a receiver. So he's been really good. And I don't think the Dolphins, other than at the goal line, have a reason to take him off the field. At this point, I think we can kind of assume that he's better than Matt Breida and better than Jordan Howard. And Miami seems to be willing to give him the ball unless they're in that goal line situation. So I think Gaskin is potentially a guy to buy low if the owner who has him in your league doesn't understand how valuable his workload is and how good he's been. Yeah, and it, not 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 only the fact that Gaskin has been good in beginning the role, but like even going back to his college days, he was an underrated prospect. This is someone who had like thirteen hundred rushing yards as a true freshman in the Pac twelve. So um, this isn't just some schmuck who's getting work. Like this is a, a talented running back who has fallen into a good workload and just happens to outperform the other running backs on his team. So I think the only thing holding Gaskin back right now is the fact that he's not necessarily getting goal line work per se, but he's still getting work within the 10 yard line, even up to the five yard line, they're still putting him in there. It's only when they get to the one or two yard line in which you're putting Jordan Howard in. So I think there's honestly better days ahead in which Gaskin can actually get in the end zone. And the fact that he's giving you like 14 last two weeks um, without getting a touchdown just shows he has a solid floor and the moment that he does have a good week he could be hitting you 25 points yeah and you know 21 carries and they kept going back to him even though he was gaining like two yards every time he got the ball Matt Bryda just doesn't seem like it's going to happen Jordan Howard seems like the Jeffrey Wilson and that unless you're on the two or one yard line he's not seeing the field and who like Devontae Parker doesn't seem to be 100% healthy Preston Williams isn't making much of an impact Gusecki looks good but I think he caught one ball on Thursday yeah, and this is this is this Dolphins team is not going to be good. Like your defense is not shutting anyone down. You could see plenty of dump offs to Miles Gaskin. How about wide receivers? DJ Shark. Uh, I think he's a great buy low, and that you know he was fourth on the team in targets going into week three. Missed week three with and he was you know kind of going down to the to the wire. It's not like he has a severe injury, and I think it was apparent how much they missed him on. On Thursday, you know, they didn't challenge downfield at all. It's clear he opens things up for the other wide receivers. And uh, the Jaguars coaches must have seen that without him. Things got a lot harder. Uh, and we know he was awesome last year with a with a sophomore year like that. He is in line for awesome production in the future. Do you guys think DJ Shark is still, you know, a good wide receiver, mid wide receiver too? Yeah, I definitely do. He's he's outperformed his expectation by a fairly significant amount in really limited work. I believe he has seven targets this season. So I think there's a lot to be excited about, but we haven't seen it because he hasn't gotten the volume. But I don't think that he's suddenly not a good player. And I think that Garner Minshew has outperformed a lot of people's expectations this year. So if we think Garner Minshew is better than we expected prior to the season, he just happens to be getting a few other guys involved. And also we don't 
don't really know Chark's health in, in the second game. And now maybe you have an owner who's a little bit concerned about what Chark's going to do and his injury. And maybe there's a buying opportunity when before the season, this guy was a top 25 receiver for most. And a lot of the top guys have dealt with injuries or gone down. And now maybe you can acquire him at a discount when there's not a lot of guys in that position who are potentially discounted right now. So I think it's a great buying opportunity for DJ Shark. Speaking of other buying opportunities, there's a guy in Carolina who we were relatively high on. Uh, uh, Dalton, you might know his name. So it looks like the Chargers set out to stop him. Are you still high on this unnamed Carolina receiver number 12? Oh, yeah. I'm buying all DJs. Um, we are hopping on board Mr. Moore over here. Um, a lot. There's a lot of positive indicators for him, even though the stats and his fantasy points necessarily haven't added up to what we had hoped with what we were drafting. Like, the fact that he's still leading the Carolina Panthers in expected points um, over Robbie Anderson, even though Robbie Anderson has outproduced him so far, like that's exciting. Um, the fact that he still has the highest target share on the team and his most targets, that's exciting. The fact that he has 350 air yards is exciting. So across the board in terms of wide receivers, not only on his team, which he's clearly looks like the alpha um, alongside a guy like Robbie Anderson, but just in the league itself, he's top 10 in some of these metrics that are indicative of future success, like air yards, like targets as well. So I don't think there's any reason to be scared off by DJ Moore and just understand that like all the things that we're looking for and what we want in a wide receiver, he possesses and he has done so far through three weeks. The production at this time and as long as these trends continue, which it seems like it will, like that production will end up falling into place as the season progresses. So definitely buy low on him considering that he's underperformed and he's going to continue to ball as the season progresses. Mike, are you still on DJ Moore as a blow end wide receiver one? Yeah. In terms of expected points, he is number nine um, out of all wide receivers. The only guys ahead of him are Calvin Ridley, DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, A-Rob, Lockett, Diggs, AJ Green. Obviously, AJ Green is going to fall in terms of expected production with the Bengals kind of moving their offense a little bit more towards T. Higgins. DJ Moore, I mean, the question has never been talent for him. And I'm not going to start beginning to question his talent after what week one, he had a subpar performance. Week two, he performed. And week three, from all reports that I read, the Chargers sold out to stop him. And perhaps the McCaffrey injury affects him in a negative way more than we were expecting expecting as a result of defenses now knowing that they need to stop him so that could be an issue but I'll take my chances I believe DJ Moore is one of the most talented wide receivers in the NFL and after the start that we've seen I'm not starting to question that I still believe that he is a stud yeah one last thing on him is the fact that like even though we're saying like he's underperforming he's still averaging 9.2 yards per target which is like right along his career average so it's like it's just more the fact that he hasn't had the reception to his target ratio. Like his catch rate's been a little lower, but the fact that he's get it, he has 17.1 yards per reception. Like he's making up for it in his yard. So it's like, there's still so many indicators there that just says like DJ Moore's a screaming by right now. So let's, let's play a quick game where I'm just going to give you wide receivers who maybe went in the fourth, fifth round, maybe late third. And you tell me if you'd still rather have DJ Moore than for redraft purposes. Uh, Mike, Lockett or DJ Moore? 
I'll take Lockett right now. Wow. I think that the, okay. cor- the unfortunately the quarterback play is just too valuable. Lockett is one of the guys that is ahead of DJ Moore in terms of expected points, and I also think he's more likely to outperform his expected points because of that quarterback play. Um, not many people get the benefit of playing with Russell Wilson, and obviously that's a huge boost to your fantasy value. I don't know that the type of uh, efficiency that they that him and Lockett both have had so far. I mean, both of them are top. They're the top two receivers in terms of outperforming expectation. So you mean I'm not Metcalf, sure. Right? Metcalf, yes, Lockett and Metcalf yeah. are the number one and number two. Lockett number one, Metcalf number two in terms of outperforming expected points. And I don't know that that's necessarily sustainable with how good they've been so far. At some point, they're going to regress to the mean a little bit, but uh, there's you can easily argue that Lockett and Wilson will be the league's most efficient duo this season. What about Metcalf? Are you taking Metcalf over DJ or you think that one's closer? I think that one's closer. I would still probably take DJ more at this point. Look, I think that Lockett is kind of being targeted in all phases of the game. They give him all sorts of targets and DK continues to get his chance to get huge plays regularly. Um, but he's not getting targeted at all the phases that Lockett is. And Lockett's expected points right now through three games is 49.3. Metcalf is at 34.3. So until we start seeing Metcalf being included in the pass game at all the levels that Lockett is, uh, I think Lockett is still more valuable. And I think DJ Moore is still more valuable than DK Metcalf. How about you, Dalton? Are you with um, Lockett over DJ and redraft? And what about Metcalf? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I'm actually on board with that Lockett one. Lockett has just, we've known Lockett's such a good receiver, and we're finally seeing Russell Wilson be unlocked, which is exciting to finally be able to see that. And Lockett just, he's on another level right now. And, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to think Ty Lockett finishes a top five receiver, assuming that the Seahawks continue to let Russ cook. Um, so I'm going to have Ty, Ty Lockett over DJ Moore. Um, DK Metcalf or DJ Moore is a really interesting one, where I think, like, um, Metcalf's boom weeks are probably going to be bigger than DJ Moore's just because it seems like every single week he has like a long touchdown or I mean suppose a long touchdown this week he got fumbled <laughs> at the one yard line but um, Still but, um, I mean it's also part of the offense too and that's what DK Metcalf is sells at so I don't think it's crazy to expect that he's having these big plays consistently the fact that he has 25 yards per reception is insane and obviously that's going to go down, but like it shows like what kind of role they're utilizing him. And, and even though he's not going to have these consistent weeks where he's getting eight, nine, 10 receptions that like a guy like DJ Moore can have, like he's, I think it's almost a lock that he's going to have more touchdowns than him. I think it's not crazy to think they have more yards in him. So like, I don't think it's crazy to say DK Metcalf over DJ Moore. And I don't think that's a knock on DJ Moore at all. I just think that DK Metcalf looks primed to finish as a top like eight receiver this year. I'm with Dalton in the sense that pushing to offer a trade of sending DK Metcalf in the situation that he's in for DJ Moore and the situation that he's in is is really difficult. And when we talk about a DK Metcalf, like what is DK Metcalf if he's on Carolina right now? Can Bridgewater yeah. get him the ball? Yeah. Like, no, I, no I don't question. know. And DJ Moore on the Seahawks, obviously, I don't need to tell you guys about how excited we would <laughs> be about that. Um, so it's kind of a situation where Russ adds so much value to a wide receiver that I wouldn't be rushing to trade either DK Metcalf or Lockett for anyone at this point. What about guys like Thielen? 
would you want to try and trade someone like Thielen for DJ Moore? You think you can get an even better price? I would. I think that if I had Thielen, I would trade him for a younger DJ Moore. I, I think that Thielen comes with his concerns, not only due to age, but also due to the offensive situation. And I think that Moore is a guy that right now is pretty far. I mean, D, uh, DJ Moore is at 42.6 expected points through three games, and Thielen is at 35.1. Obviously, Thielen is outperforming his. DJ isn't, but I expect those to kind of flip at some point. So yes, I would trade um, I would trade Thielen for DJ Moore. Last one. Will Fuller or DJ Moore? And would you trade... And uh, I assume you'll say DJ Moore, but would you... Uh, would you trade a guy like Will Fuller for DJ Moore? Yes. Easily. Okay. Dalton? 100%. 100%. And the, and the issue is not talent. It's the fact that he has these games where he suddenly seems all healthy and then he gets hurt in the middle of the game and he gives you zero points. And it's like, it's just a roller coaster, Will Fuller. It's like, it's like this, ro- like you're on a roller coaster, right? And you know there's going to be a drop at some point and you know there's going to be a loop and it's going to be fun and exciting at times, but there's going to be times where you're just like, what the heck am I doing? And, um, I would much rather have DJ Moore at this point, even though as much as I love Fuller. I, I think I agree with pretty much everything you guys said, especially the Will Fuller stuff. I'm obviously still high on DJ Moore. Um, I don't. I think you went into the season expecting him not to score 10 touchdowns. Maybe, hopefully, you're hoping for seven. But I think with DJ Moore, you're hoping for close to 100 catches, maybe 1,300 yards. And I don't. there's no reason he still can't hit those numbers. Why don't we go on to a couple other younger wide receivers as Bylos who we think are interesting Darius, we'll start with Darius Slayton. Um, are you, it, it almost seems like he has the same situation as late last year when he really popped. Uh, he didn't have a great week two, or week three, he had a great week two. Didn't have a great week three. Are are you guys still on board with Darius Slayton? I am. Um, I think Slayton, Slayton is the only Giants wide receiver, including Evan Ingram, that's outperforming his expectation. Obviously, it's probably due to those touchdowns in week one, and he made some big plays there, but he's kind of the one guy in that passing game where I, I think Golden Tate could rack up a lot of touches, but Slayton has that number one profile where he can score touchdowns, he can rack up catches on a team that's one of the worst in the league. So there'll be a lot of pass attempts to go around. I think Danny... Danny Dimes is a bit of a concern. Nobody has underperformed as a passer as much as Danny Dimes. Maybe we'll see some regression to the mean, and that's when Darius Slayton will get going. I know that the Giants' schedule to open the season hasn't been very good, but Darius Slayton has a low price, and there's no reason we can't expect a lot of opportunity there. And he's a young year two guy that we should expect kind of a jump in production. So I think at his cost, he's a very good acquisition. Him and uh, him and Golden Tate, poor man's Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, don't you think? Really? I like Slayton as well, and I think he could have some, he'll definitely have some spiked weeks. And as you know, another second year wide receiver he liked, who they're going to have to funnel targets on a really bad team. What about another young wide receiver, Jerry Judy Dalton? How are you feeling about him so far? Is he a guy you're looking to target even in redraft? Yeah, for sure. Um, he's actually had some really interesting trends. We touched on targets and air yards and why it's important to track those because through three weeks like there's there's variance that happens week to week so through three weeks we kind of have a small sample size but we want to be targeting things that are more um dependent on what we can see in the future and that's things like targets which jerry judy is currently um top 18 in the nfl and targets as a rookie and in air yards 
He's um, top 14 in the league in air yards. So all those things are really exciting for a rookie wide receiver in which Cortland Sutton's gone now. He looks to be the number one, and they're constantly targeting him. And to get eight targets a game through your first three games, um, those are the that's what we want to target is volume. And we have an exciting player like Jerry Judy who had a very good profile coming out. Um, even though the offense itself and the quarterback situation is a little hey, bit murky. Hey, Brett Ripien is going to turn their season around. <laughs> hey, well, I'm all aboard Brett Ripien if he can get Jerry Judy the ball and make things happen here. Um, and it's certain. I mean, for, for a guy that um, for, people are probably lower on just because he hasn't produced to the volume um, that he's seeing right now, I think he's someone that um, should be continued to be started. And I think better days are ahead for him, even in an offense that still has question marks. I also don't want to forget about a guy that Mike has been pounding the table for all season. KJ Hamler, I think, is on 92% of the snaps. And this is a this is a defense that has just been destroyed by injuries. They just lost yesterday a guy who was on my beloved Titans, who was awesome, Jarrell Casey. Of course, they lost Von Miller, AJ Boy. This is not a team that can afford to pound the rock 30 times a game and expect to hold teams to under 25 points. So I, I'm buying both of those, and especially Judy. Mike, are you on board uh, with Jerry Judy as much as Dalton is? Yeah, I definitely am. I think the volume is there for guys like Hamler, for guys like Judy, and Judy's probably the most talented of the bunch if we're not including Noah Fant, who's also uh, quietly outproducing his volume, and he's another interesting player to try and acquire if you can get him for cheap. Um, So yeah, I think that Denver is going to be a source of a lot of pass attempts. Who's making those pass attempts and how valuable they are will be a question, but all of those guys should be able to be acquired for pretty cheap. We thought it couldn't get worse after they got Brock Osweiler, but here we are. We're praying for the days of Drew Locke again. Let's end the show by going over something special that's happening in the Queen City, Cincinnati. Uh, we are seeing, you know, Joe Burrow is kind of what we thought he'd be, but T, the t- connection between him and T. Higgins, I think we're seeing a transformation in this offense, Dalton. What have you noticed there? I'm fired up about it. I'm absolutely fired up. Um, Let's hear it. I think like I think like heading into like after the draft and heading into the season, like we knew that like Joe Burrow and T. Higgins were going to be like an exciting duo to work with in the future. But I didn't think we'd see it happen as soon as we are right now. And I'm going to touch on them each individually briefly. Um, Joe Burrow, why he's so exciting right now? It through three games, his first three NFL games, he's currently second in the NFL in passing attempts. He's fifth in rushing attempts which then accounts wow. for third in expected points amongst all quarterbacks. And then he's also eighth in PPR points. So what do we want in quarterbacks? We want quarterbacks who are in high volume pass offense. We want quarterbacks who are able to run the ball and we want quarterbacks who have good weapons around them in a good offensive system. And it seems like Joe Burrow checks all those boxes. He also has a very good profile. First overall pick uh, led historic offense last season and he's doing well so far. So I think that even though he's eighth in PPR points, like, there's trends there and there's indicators that Joe Burrow legitimately could be a top five fantasy quarterback as a rookie. Um, and I don't think it's crazy, especially if we're talking about a guy like T Higgins and what happens if T Higgins starts to emerge. Um, T Higgins is an extremely interesting guy who we touched on a little bit earlier about, you know, someone that we were targeting on the waiver wire. But the thing that makes him so exciting is the fact that he saw more targets than AJ green in his third week. He got two touchdown passes. He saw more air yards than Tyler Boyd in his third NFL game. And now this is a this is a prospect who was wildly efficient in college, who broke out at 18 years old, weighs 215 pounds, um, was the first pick 
in the second round. They're fired up to get him. Um, he checks literally all the boxes that you want for in a wide receiver prospect. And he goes to a team in which is pass heavy, which has Joe Burrow throwing the ball to him. And now he has legitimate opportunity. We should be very excited about T Higgins, um, for redraft this year. I don't think it's crazy to see him if this trend continues and he's starting to see these snaps that he saw last week, which was over 80%, which was right up there with Boyd and AJ Green. Why can't T Higgins be someone that we're starting on a weekly basis here on out? And why can't Joe Burrow be someone that we're actually relying on as a quarterback? I think these guys are both guys that you want in your lineups, that you want on your teams ASAP. Totally. Uh, Higgins outsnapped Boyd and AJ Green. He was on the field the most out of the Bengals receivers. And one note about Joe Burrow, it was lovely what you said about him, but you may have undersold one thing. He's actually outscored Lamar Jackson through three weeks. So he he's just absolutely balling and his expected workload, even though he's underperforming it, is just huge due to those rushing, rushing attempts and how pass heavy the Bengals are. And Mike, what do you think about, you know, T Higgins? And first of all, I want to give the Bengals credit in that hopefully they saw what a lot of us saw in that funneling target state. And, I, you know, I have nothing but love for a guy like AJ Green, who was a stalwart of fantasy teams for years. Unfortunately, you know, father time is undefeated. And they were kind of wasting targets, just targeting the corpse of AJ Green. Now they're having T Higgins be that red zone threat, which he was so good at in college. And they're having Boyd move the chains. I think he saw 14 targets or something like that. Uh, maybe, maybe it was 11, but double digit targets for sure. So good for the Bengals for doing that. Mike, how do you rank T Higgins in terms of those wide receivers? The young ones we talked about early in the show for redraft purposes. Yeah, I don't feel too strongly between uh, Jefferson and Higgins this week in terms of waiver wire. I think that Higgins may have an advantage in terms of raw targets because the Bengals are throwing more than the Vikings. So I would probably go that way. It seems that they kind of have like a youthful enthusiasm that the Vikings could really use right now where everybody's rallying around Burrow and they're excited and you have Boyd there, you have... I don't know if John Ross is going to play, but they have Auden Tate and they have Mike Thomas, who they love throwing out. And, and this team just seems to be enjoying football right now, where hopefully the Vikings got the breath of fresh air that they needed with Justin Jefferson. But targeting people on that team, it seems a little bit more difficult than the Bengals right now. So I would probably go Higgins, but I don't really have a strong preference. I think both of those guys are really exciting young receivers that you should be uh, targeting for your fantasy team. It may not be a stretch to say that right now, I might not be a stretch at all, uh, to say that Joe Burrow is a better quarterback already than Kirk Cousins. Do you guys do you guys disagree with that? I do not. I think that it's exciting to see what the Bengals are doing. I like Zach Taylor at times. I mean, sometimes he frustrates me with the rotation of wide receivers and, and taking Mixon out of the game for Geo, but... I think that there's a lot more to be excited about there than there is in the Vikings where it just seems that it's stale and the guys are sick of it. I don't know if it's Zimmer. I don't know if it's the offensive system, but something seems to need to change for the Vikings in order to be excited about what's going on there. No question. Dalton, any any last words on uh, on our friends in Cincinnati? No, just get them on your squads, especially, especially in Dynasty. I'll say this, especially in Dynasty. I think, I think it's fine. It's okay to like – be aggressive for a guy like Burrow or Teagans. Like, I don't think it's crazy to have a guy like Burrow ahead of a guy like Deshaun Watson right now. Like Deshaun Watson lost Hopkins and we know Watson's amazing quarterback, but 
Burrow has all the assets around him. And for this year, I don't think it's crazy to prefer a guy like Burrow to a guy like Deshaun Watson. So um, be aggressive in getting these guys. The last thing you want to do is just sit on your hands and then allow these guys' value to go up, which we know their value is going to go up. But be ahead of the curve and maybe pay a little bit extra now. So maybe next offseason, we're looking at that and saying, wow, you actually got him cheaper than what it takes to acquire him now. So I think like it's totally fine to be aggressive and get those guys. And I think one thing that we got to remember is that even if you're not in a dynasty, if you're in a keeper league, you know, you know how valuable wide receivers are in their second year when they were really good as rookies. Think about what T. Higgins is doing right now for your fantasy team. And if he ends the year with 55, 60 catches for 700, 800 yards, and he's probably on pace for seven, eight touchdowns, he's going to be a guy who's going where like DK Metcalf went this year. He's going to be a yep. guy that's going maybe even in the third round if AJ Green goes somewhere and they don't add any other pass game weapons. I mean, he's a guy, like we say, checks all the boxes. He will check all the boxes next offseason if he can stay healthy and continue to produce his rookie year. So don't be afraid to target those guys, even in non-dynasty keeper leagues as well. Exciting times in Cincinnati. The Reds are in the playoffs the Bengals got their first non-loss against the Eagles <laughs> the rookies are looking good so Ohio uh we know you lost LeBron he's always taking Lakers to the finals but something to look forward to finally because the Browns still suck this is uh our second in season podcast we are going to do one every week from here on out so please continue to listen thank you for listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. 